This morning's reading is uh, from 1 Peter chapter 3. If you'd like to take the maroon coloured Bibles from the seat backs and turn to page 1119, uh, please follow the reading as I present it um, and then keep it open um, as, it is, uh, as the word is expounded to us. So it's uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, a reading um, from verse 8. In the section just beforehand, uh, the, uh, um, Peter has been encouraging Christians to, uh, to uh, present submission to each other um, and to be considered to each other. And he goes on uh, in verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insults with insults. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever loves life and sees good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it... Only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you so much that... We have a fantastic gospel to proclaim. And we pray this morning as we look at your word together, you would continue to equip us and build us up so that we might be ever more ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Amen. Um, I think that we're probably on fairly safe ground if I were to ask you to speak to one another now and uh, talk to one another about the best thing you've seen on television or in the cinema recently. I think we could have a pretty decent conversation with, with one another. I recently discovered uh, Big Bang Theory on TV or Netflix. I could easily bore you with the delights of that. Or, of course, The Crown, uh, Designated Survivors, another one that I've enjoyed recently. Or we could chat about the, the merits of the latest Star Wars offering. It's a very easy topic to talk about. Uh, from box sets uh, to Bake Off, we can all infuse about our favourite viewing. And I reckon that many of us here this morning will have a fairly strong opinion about uh, the move of Bake Off to Channel 4 last year. And I guess many of us would have been rooting for one of these guys um, in Strictly Come Dancing over the Christmas period. 
uh, one of yours was crowned champion in December. The point is we find it very easy to talk about the things that have excited us or thrilled us or entertained us. And it's the same with our hobbies. For example, uh, mention cross-stitch to, to Phil and he's off. Can't stop him. Uh, we like speaking about the things that we love, don't we? Parents talk about their children. Travelers talk about their holidays. Gamers talk about the latest release. Football fans talk about their team. And Christians, well, we talk about anything other than Jesus. I'm overstating it. Uh, but it's not that far from the truth, is it? Most of us find it pretty hard to tell others about Jesus, to share the gospel. A number of years ago, I was on a train to a conference on evangelism, and I was reading a book called Know and Tell the Gospel. I like my privacy, and I made sure that nobody else would sit next to me on the train by placing my bag on the seat next to me and vowing not to make eye contact with anybody who might come onto the train. And as I sat there cosily reading my book, I read the author describing how he loves traveling on trains because he has a captive audience with whom to share the gospel. And he wrote how he always sits next to an empty seat and how he smiles warmly at people as they get onto the train. Needless to say, I felt pretty useless. Now we're thinking this morning about telling others the good news. And I suspect that for many of us here this morning, we're already beginning to, to squirm a little guiltily in our seats at the mention of the E word, evangelism. But you know, there is something quite remarkable about these verses that we read from Peter's first letter. Let's just read again from uh, verse, uh, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We're focusing on that verse this morning, and we're going to, to look at it closer as we go on. But what struck me is that these words were written by the same man who is recorded in the Gospels as having closed up tighter than a clam when people asked him about his hope in Jesus before the crucifixion. Do you remember that? Remember the account in the, the temple precincts? Uh, Peter went to the chief priest's house where Jesus was taken after his arrest and three times he failed to give the reason for the hope that he had. Three times he denied Jesus by not telling the truth about his relationship with him. And if someone who did that and made such a public rejection of Jesus could become someone who write, writes these words in our Bibles, then I, for one, want to find out how that can happen for me and for you. How can we confidently tell others about Jesus and about the good news of salvation? Well, this morning we're going to see how we need to know, live, and tell the gospel before we finish off with a, a brief look at uh, some of the reasons why we find it hard to tell and maybe some of the things that will help us to be obedient to the Lord in this area. So first of all then, know the gospel. Know the gospel. It stands to reason that if we're going to share the good news, well then we need to know the good news. Peter says in verse 15 again, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared. Know what you're going to say. Anticipate the questions you may be asked. 
The problem is we think we need to be like a, a contestant on Mastermind. We need to com- be completely up to speed on our specialist subject or we're going to end up getting a low score having passed on too many questions. But it really is only a very small percentage of Christians who have a theology degree. And Peter himself probably had very f- little formal education. He knew the gospel because he knew Jesus. And he had the Spirit of God living in him. And I take it that that much is true for any Christian. We know Jesus and we have the Spirit of God living in us. But Peter does tell us to be prepared. Be prepared. Be ready for any opportunity. Be ready to speak. Be ready to respond. So how? How can we be prepared? Well, I don't think being prepared means that we have to know everything, nor do we have to know every Bible reference. But it does mean that we do need to know our Bibles. We need to know what God says and what God thinks about things if we're going to give answers that honor him. So that means that we'll regularly read our Bibles and think about what God says. It means we'll take listening to his word seriously, his word being preached. So we might catch up with a missed sermon online maybe. Or we might change our arrangements so that we can ensure we're at church every Sunday. God has given us preaching to prepare us for his service. Being prepared might mean that we read good Christian books on issues of the day, since these are the things that we're most likely to be asked about. So though this book might look quite interesting, uh, it's pretty niche, you've got to, I've got to admit. Um, something like this, is likely to be much more useful, God and the transgender debate. This will help us answer questions people may have on that area. And one of the best ways of preparing, of being prepared, is to talk with our church family. Talk with one another about the things that you're not sure about. Speak to, to Phil or Tim or any other member on the staff team, because they're here to serve the church family. And actually, we can all help, help each other to answer people's questions in relevant and helpful ways. The one helpful mindset to have is to, never, is to decide never to be stumped by the same question twice. If, if you don't know the answer to a question somebody asks you, well, it's fine to say, I'm sorry, I don't know, let me get back to you. Let me go away and think about it. And then the next time somebody asks you the same question, well, you'll have an answer that you can give. You'll be ready. You'll be prepared. But the key ingredient in being prepared is to focus on Jesus. All of our answers should try and point to him. We don't just want to answer questions because we like the sound of our own voice. And we don't want to answer people's questions because it somehow earns God's favor. And we don't answer questions just so that we can look clever or be right No, we answer people's questions to move people towards Jesus. That's our aim. Because that is what everybody needs, whoever they are. We need to know the gospel. We need to be prepared for the questions that we may be asked. But we also need to to live the gospel. That's what Peter says earlier in his letter. Live such good lives among the pagans, he writes, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And that's what he alludes to in our verse 
in chapter 3. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, Peter envisages that the reason that you'll be asked a question is because somebody sees something of that certain hope of the gospel evident in your life. So people will watch you, then they will question you. And what they see matters. When people become Christians, we're not branded with the word hopeful across our brows, are we? We don't all start wearing t-shirts emblazoned with the words, I'm full of hope, ask me about it. Uh, We could get some of those available if you want one, though. I'm sure we could source them somewhere. But if people are to see the hope that we have, they will see it in our life and our conduct. They'll see it in the choices that we make, in the things that we say and in the way that we say them. They'll see it in our actions. They'll see it in our relationships. They'll see it in the way we use our money, the way we bring up our children, the way we spend our time. They will see that we're different and they will ask, why? Why? Maybe one of the reasons that we don't have more gospel conversations and more opportunities to tell people about Jesus is because we don't, people don't see the impact of the gospel in our lives. St. Francis of Assisi famously said, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Now on one level, of course, it's impossible to preach the gospel without words, without explaining the work of Jesus and our need for him. But St. Francis is onto something. Words will be necessary when someone asks us the reason for the hope that we have. But unless they've seen the impact of the gospel in our lives, they will never ask us, will they? Now we all fall short here. We all forget the gospel at times and live like anyone else in the world might live, living for ourselves and not for Jesus. But just think for a moment how even this week you can make changes to the way you live that will commend the gospel rather than hide it. What could you do this week that will highlight your faith in Christ rather than hide it? Let's resolve to try and live the gospel before a watching world. And I suspect we may find ourselves very surprised at the gospel opportunities that open up for us. We need to, to know the gospel. We need to, uh, to live the gospel. And at the risk of offending St. Francis of Assisi, we do need to tell the gospel. Now we have to admit that what Peter tells us here is somewhat passive. We wait to be asked... And then we speak, we respond. Maybe part of the reason for that is because he was writing into a situation of extreme persecution. Someone who started every conversation with the words, now let me tell you about Jesus, probably wouldn't have survived for very long in that context. The Bible clearly tells us that some people have a particular gift and calling to tell the gospel in the sense of proclaiming it. And we might call these people evangelists. But of course, Jesus gave the Great Commission to all disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, he says, to all of his followers, including us. And actually explaining the reason for the hope we have is to tell the gospel. It's the same thing. And therefore, it's still evangelism, isn't it? Answering questions people have that are prompted by the lives that we live is still evangelism. Ah, the E word again strikes fear into the heart of many a Christian 
Uh, and that fear is one of the reasons we find speaking about Jesus so difficult. Let's assume for a moment that we do live hope-filled lives before our friends and our neighbours and our work colleagues. And somebody says to you, tell me, why do you follow Christ? Why do you believe in God? Suddenly your heart races, your, your palms go clammy, your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth, and fear sets in. Think of Jonah as an example in the Old Testament. We don't have time this morning to go into lots of detail there, but he experienced a degree of fear. God gave him a, a job to go and tell the Ninevites all about him, and uh, he ran away to Spain. Can I at this point say we're not following Jonah uh, as a role model in our move to Spain? But he was afraid. He was afraid of what the people would say, afraid of how they would respond, uh, afraid of what God would do. He knew and loved God, but something about telling others the good news filled him with that desire to flee. And whilst most of us won't get on a boat and sail to the other side of the world if someone says, tell me about Jesus, we nonetheless feel something of that, that fear. Maybe it was fear too that was behind Peter's denial of Jesus on that first Maundy Thursday. Fear can stop us telling the good news. But many other things can get in the way too. Unbelief can stop us telling. We don't quite trust God's promises to step out in faith and share our faith. Or our unbelief makes us cling rather too tightly to the world because there is something about the gospel that we're struggling to believe and to us the world makes more sense about it. So unbelief can, can stop us sharing our faith. Inability can stop us too, or at least the thought that we can't do it. It was one of the excuses Moses used when, when God gave, uh, gave him the instruction to go and tell the people of his rescue plans. And uh, Moses said, oh, I can't do that. And God says that he would give him the words to say. And it's true, we can't, we are unable, but God isn't. We can't, but God can. And he chooses to work through us and in us. And of course, he is more than able to do that. So fear can stop us, unbelief can stop us, inability or the thought that we're unable can stop us. Apathy can stop us telling the gospel too. We don't feel a concern for the lost ones that Jesus came to seek and save. I guess it links to unbelief because if we don't believe the lost are perishing without Jesus, then we won't feel the burden to share the good news with them. In a little book on evangelism, the author Oswald Sanders tells a story of an American judge called Judge Mingins who had become a Christian. And he writes, Judge Mingins had been a worldly youth and had lived with his worldly companions in Philadelphia. Sometime after becoming a Christian, he was visiting one of them who said, George, I hear you're a Christian now. Is that so? Yes, said the judge. George, do you believe in God then? Yes. And do you believe in hell and that all who do not believe in God and in Jesus Christ will ultimately go to hell? I do most certainly, said the judge. Well, George, said his friend, does Christianity dry up all the milk of humanity in one's body as it has in yours? Why, said the judge, what do you mean? I mean this, he replied, that here you have been living under my roof for three days and three nights, knowing and believing all of this, and yet you never once put your hand on my shoulder or said one word to save me. 
I wonder whether we have friends who might say that of us. Fear, unbelief, inability, apathy can all stop us telling the gospel. Uh, Another thing that can stop us sharing the gospel is our hypocrisy. When we're all too aware that our life doesn't match our words, well then we're going to keep quiet lest we be found out. We're painfully aware that our life should authenticate the words that we say. Imagine your life for a moment like uh, a canvas for an oil painting. It's full of very careful strokes of the brush, delicate use of light and shadow, colors in every hue making up the picture of your life. And every single element of your painting, the painting of your life, points to the work of the great artist standing in front of that canvas. And just as you can look at a painting at the Musée d'Orsay in Paris and recognize it as a Monet or a Renoir, so people should be able to look at us and say, that's a Jesus. That's a Jesus. The problem is we can oh so easily spoil the canvas. Our careless words and acts produce huge blemishes on the canvas, as if someone has taken a, spray, a, a can of spray paint and defaced us with the word fake. All those rotten things that we do and say that others see and hear, well, they, they are things that pretty obviously spoil the canvas, but there are, of course, those other things that are unseen. Our thoughts, are those secret acts that no one else knows about. When those unseen things are ungodly, well, they affect the canvas too. Maybe not quite so obviously as a can of spray paint, but the brush strokes begin to look clumsy and the colors become muted. And although the painting looks like it might be a Jesus, closer inspection shows it up for the fake that it is. And we can be sure as we share Jesus, people will examine our life very closely. And so we reason it's safer not to share. It's safer not to make ourselves vulnerable in that way. What we say and what we do need to match. Life and lip must both tell of Jesus. Of course, the wonderful news is that the the God who paints that canvas is the God of grace. And he uses those blemishes and the, the vandalism, I suppose, of the spray paint. He uses those things. Uh, in us to bring others to Christ and to grow us in our love and knowledge of him too. He's more than able to cope with a painting that looks like a fake. And in the end, of course, it proves to be a real one. One more thing maybe that stops us telling is the lack of opportunity. Now, it may be we lack the opportunity to, to share because no one asks us the reason for the hope that we have. Because our lives don't invite it. We've we've thought about that already. But it could be that nobody asks us uh, the reason for the hope that we have because we don't have any friends who aren't Christians. We need to live our lives before those who don't yet know Christ, as well as encouraging one another to live those lives uh, amongst ourselves as Christians. So maybe uh, you need to think about whether you've got non-Christian friends who you can share the gospel with as you live the gospel life before them. It's not about making friends just to win them to Christ. It's about genuinely opening up your life to all, knowing that we live in a world that is full of need and that so many people are lost without Christ. Genuine relationships 
where you live a genuine Christian life before them, invite those genuine questions as to why. Why are you different? Why do you live like you do? Why do you follow Christ? Well, there are plenty of things then that that might stop us telling uh, about Jesus. But I suspect that the thing which compelled Peter to tell the gospel, the thing that changed him from the disciple who was ashamed of Jesus to be the one who boldly declared his love for his Lord, was because he knew the truth of what he writes at the beginning of verse 15. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In fact, if we go back to verse 14, you can see that just before these words, Peter writes, do not fear their threats, or as the footnote puts it, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Verse 15 is the remedy to the fear that stops us sharing the gospel. In fact, all those things that might stop us probably have fear as the root, don't they? That fear of being found out in our hypocrisy. That fear of being found out that we're not as good as we think we are and we think we're unable. Now that fear of not being right. Make sure, says Peter, that Jesus is in your heart, not just in your head. But make sure that Jesus isn't just in your heart. Make sure he's ruling your heart too, but that he's there as Lord. And as we submit ourselves to him, as his delight and glory becomes our goal, then telling others about him becomes second nature to us. As we close, I just wanted to think about this truth. Sharing Jesus is the most loving thing God has done for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, those of us who call ourselves Christians, we know this love, don't we? Whenever we consider Jesus, our hearts are strangely warmed by the love of God. And we're saved because we once heard the message about Jesus. Someone told us. Someone shared it with us. It's how God gives his wonderful gift of eternal life to people. Through the message about Jesus. And it's a great motivation for us. As we remember the immense love of God in sharing Jesus, well, we want to copy him in our own small way and do the most loving thing we can do for somebody else because he has done the most loving thing that he could do for us. And as well as motivating, it's also a liberating truth. You see, it's all his work. As we share Jesus, we're only sharing what God has already shared. Jesus is his message long before he was our message. And so whenever we share Jesus, we're really pointing back to God and we're saying, look at what he has shared. And God will work with the message in the lives of others just as he worked with it in our lives to save a sinner for all eternity. Because Jesus is God's message, he is our message too. May he always be on our lips and ruling in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, please, to help us revere Jesus as Lord in our hearts. Father, we pray that we would acknowledge him as 
our king. And that we would submit to his rule in every area of life. That our lives would declare your glory. And that others would ask us why we're different. Why we follow you. Why we trust in Jesus. Help us, we pray, to be prepared in whatever way we can to answer those questions and point others to Jesus as we tell the glorious message that you first told us. Amen.